0: If you have a Bible today, let's open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and today we're going to cover verses 12 through 20. i tell you what, you guys, if you don't have a Bible, man, I encourage you, uh, raise your hand and one of the ushers will bring you a Bible, um, because it's going to be so important that you follow along with what I'm teaching you. Because if you think it's the word of Manny or man, it won't carry any weight. I mean, it doesn't mean anything. But when you hear it, it's the word of God. He's just teaching us the word of God. It's different, and there's power there. And that seed will fall on good soil, and you can die with integrity. And when you die, you go to heaven. You know, because what I've seen, and I'm sure you guys have seen it, is a lot of families are falling apart men are having affairs. They say that 40% of all men will commit adultery. That's a high percentage. And the ladies are not far behind nowadays. If you're not investing in your marriage, uh, you know, you're know you not paying attention. Uh, you know The enemy has a way of coming in and wooing your spouse in different directions. And so today's study is so huge to me because I believe that family is the fabric of society. And so when families start falling apart, then kids start falling apart. And then the world starts falling apart. And it's all because of the fact that they didn't keep the Lord as the Lord of their life. They didn't know the truth. They bought the lie of the world or, you know, they fed their flesh because our bodies will tell us something that is diametrically different than the Bible. And so you young people, some of you here, you're single, you know, and you're interested in in, in pornography or you're interested in, in having sex before marriage. You know, you think that's what, you know, you should do. And I pray that you would really pay attention today because this study is, is so important. It's life-changing. It's life-changing, you guys. And what God wants to do is protect you. Because, you know, when we meet with people, my wife and I, we met with a couple yesterday, we are just telling them, we just want God to bless you. We just want God to open up the windows of heaven and bless your life. It doesn't mean that life is always going to be easy. It just means that you will be in the perfect will of God. And so we've seen so many things happen over the years. uh, And this study right here, if you take it to heart, it might prevent you from falling and ruining so many things in your life. Look what we read in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 6. It says, All things are, are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach, and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord, and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a heart is one body with her? for the two he says shall become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord is one with spirit, one is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality; every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and you are not your own. You should underline that. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so when we look at our study today, a few things that kind of stood out is, number one, a clarification on liberty. We see that in verse 12, a clarification on liberty. And then in verse 13, there's kind of a clarification on morality clarification on morality and then the last part is a clarification on our body i'm so blessed man i'm so glad that we have the bible you know to be able to tell us what our freedoms are to be able to tell us what's right and wrong what our morals are and then to be able to even tell us about our body your bodies man they're amazing you know your eyes your nose your lips your tongue your your hands, uh, your feet, your legs. I mean, it's amazing, we don't realize th- this body right here. But, but a lot of times, you know, when we talk about someone, like, hey, I want your body, it, they think that the body is like for sexual immorality. When at the end of the day, we're going to see the body is for the Lord. But it starts with understanding things like, like for example, liberty. Look again in verse 12. He says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful all things are lawful for me but i will not be brought under the power of any all things are lawful for me that was their mentality i can do whatever i want i'm a free moral agent you know paul had taught the corinthians that they were no longer under the law and so you know when you study the old testament the old testament is divided up into three sections as far as the law goes you have, first of all, the civil law, and that was the governing laws that applied to Israel as a theocracy. You know, things like you know, what they'd have to obey regarding their property and things like that, right? So you have the civil law. Then you have the ceremonial law, and that's when you would go down to the tabernacle or the temple. You'd offer sacrifices for your sins. Imagine, you guys, if that was our life. If every time you sinned, you had to take an animal down to the temple and kill it and drain the blood in order to be forgiven, See, Jesus came and he said it's free from the ceremonial law, right? So it doesn't apply. The, you know, civil law was for Israel as a theocracy. But then the third part of the law is called the moral law. We would probably define it more along the lines of the Ten Commandments, right? And so Paul would even teach them, you're not under the law. You know, the, the moral law even, it can't save you. you this is, you know, the, the commandments, you can't keep them. You're not under the law. You're saved not based on your behavior. You're saved by the blood. You're saved because you believe. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, you know, he comes, and you guys know Paul. He shared that. You are no longer under the law. It was a tutor to bring us to Christ, but now you're free. So the problem, however, with that is when people take a truth like that and they take it to the other extreme and they say, well, now all things are are lawful for me, right? And the burden's lifted. They're no longer under the law. But does that mean that I can do anything I want? You know, and if we're not careful, we can so easily twist the truth to being free from sin to now I'm free to sin, that I can do whatever I want. I can go into this illicit relationship because um i'll i'm not under the law i'll be forgiven imagine you single people if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you fell into sexual sin you would lose your salvation if you if you committed adultery then you would you were guaranteed to go to hell a lot of people probably wouldn't commit adultery huh you would stay pure But you're not under the law. You're like, well, God will forgive me. I can go ahead and do this. It's not that big of a deal. And so that's what ends up happening. The mentality is I'm based on the blood, not by behavior. All things are lawful for me, and so I can go ahead and do whatever I want. And what Paul is saying here is, no, we need to start here, and we need to nip it in the bud. We need to start in the very beginning and understand that we're not free to sin we're free from sin right first peter two sixteen it says as free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice an excuse to do evil but as bond servants of god you are free to live as god's slaves so we use our freedom to obey we shouldn't use our freedom to disobey You know, well, there's no law that says I can't consume this magazine and scarf down the media and movies that the world has to offer, right? And we'll take our liberties, and a lot of times we'll use them for bad. Our motto in life is, hey, it's permissible. But let me ask you a question. Is that how you determine what you do with your life, with your time, while it's permissible? You know, I was thinking about that saying, they they say you can't kill time without affecting eternity, so you guys that are getting older, how many of you guys are getting older? I'm just curious, you know what I'm talking about. Have you guys noticed that the older you get, the faster time flies? And then you're realizing, man, you know, you go to work, you go home, you grub down, you know, you got maybe two, three hours left, and so what are you gonna do with it? I mean, yeah, you can watch a movie, and sometimes i watch a movie with my family because I just, the only reason I would do that, to be honest, is because I wanna be with my family. That's the only reason but then sometimes it's better to turn off the television because better than anything else, I love just talking to my family, just talking to them. You know, so we're free to do whatever we want with our time and is permissible, and if I wanted to, you know, I can go out and do all these other things, But, but is that really what God wants me to do? At the end of the day, here's something he says in verse 12, all things are lawful for me, But all things are not helpful. Paul here, he gives a different approach to the choices of life, beginning with these two basic questions. If you're wondering, you know, whether or not to engage in a certain activity or what to do with your time, with your life, the first question you have to ask is, is it profitable to me? Is it uh, edifying? Will it be, you know, building me up? Now, I as a pastor, I do not have the authority to tell you that you can't go home and spend 10 hours watching television. I can't tell you that. But would it be good for you? Probably not. I can't tell you, hey, you cannot go home and have 10 scoops of ice cream, stop it. But would it be good for you? I mean, it's lawful, it's permissible, but it's not profitable. What we need to start asking is better questions, you know, because we could just waste our life away, man, if we're not careful. You know, but as you get older, you start, you know, just learning, hey, I don't wanna waste my life. I mean, if I have some, some free time, I'm gonna use it for something that's gonna be good for me or good for my family. I, I'm not gonna waste all my time. I mean, yeah, we need leisure time, don't get me wrong, but I'm not gonna waste all my time sleeping or whatever, watching television or on social media, you know, trying to find out what so-and-so is doing and whether or not they like me or not, you know, I'm going to read a good book. I'm going to read the Bible, and I would encourage you to always have at least one book that you're reading along with the Bible. Maybe it'll take you a year to read it. I don't know, but something that's good for you. Or how about this? When you're wondering what to do with that extra hour that you have, just like really a thought in your mind, like what can I do for someone? What can I do to help someone? You know, and I and I and you start basing your decisions not on whether you can, whether it's permissible, whether it's lawful, but you start really basing your decisions on whether or not it's helpful, whether it's edifying, whether it's profitable. See, because this is important. The next question is is cool because it kind of builds on it. He says, and all things are lawful for me in verse 12, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. If you're not careful, next thing you know, you know, you're, you're well, I'm, it's, it's okay for me to do this. And next thing you know, boom, you're hooked. You're trapped. Do you remember the uh, Chronicles of Narnia? Do you guys remember um, Edmund? He goes to the white witch, and uh, what does she have? She has Turkish delight, oh yeah. And he's, he asked for the Turkish delight, homeboy's hooked. It's over, he's dead, right? And for us, we have to be so careful because uh, we, you know, we think we're free, yeah, I do whatever I want. When in all reality, you're not because you're, you're hooked on porn, you're hooked on sex, you're hooked on drugs, you're hooked on alcohol. You know, on all these different things, um, you're hooked on your phone, right? You guys know that, right? How many of you here would be uh, transparent about the fact that you're addicted to your cell phone? Okay, so you guys are liars, right? <laughs> <laughs> cell phone addiction. They say that the average cell phone user is on it three hours every single day. That people check their cell phones at least 110 times every single day. 50% of all teenagers admitted the fact that they're addicted to their smartphones, and 70% of parents say that they have argued with their teens about the usage because it's taken away from the daily social interaction with the family. 77% of parents say that their family time has been disintegrated because of these cell phones. You know, and I'm not trying to be legalistic here or anything, but I I, I know, and I just, I beyond a shadow of a doubt, that marriages are kind of distancing themselves. They're not as tight, as close, as loving, as beautiful as they should be because of that stupid phone. Every once in a while, try it, put it down. Even though I know you might need rehabilitation, but just kind of push that. <laughs> Push that button, you know, and you're driving in the car. One of the things I've always, you know, been with my kids, you know, no headphones, you know, in the house, and no headphones in the car. Because when we're in the car, you know, we're talking. This is this is the time where I have them. They're trapped, you know. And so, um, but the cell phones are just as bad. They're in a different world. There's something about, you know, you're trying to have a conversation with your wife, and you never, I'm texting or she's texting. You guys know what I'm talking about? You're just so disconnected but then you get so many text messages. We have to be so careful with this. I encourage you every once in a while, uh, turn it off. Every once in a while, I know it might be one of the most difficult things in the world, but especially you guys, you girls, maybe you need it, you know, in a case of an emergency, but guys, we can handle ourselves, huh? Leave it at home, leave it at home. Right now, I don't have it in my pocket. It feels good, it feels really good. When I wake up in the morning and I spend time with the Lord, i uh I don't have my my cell phone my my wife praise god she uh, he's she's with me on this. no cell phone, no Apple watch, no WiFi on your computer. no one can get a hold of you. leave it there. Just you go and be with the Lord, and no one else can interrupt you. but we have this we have this addiction. it's crazy what's going on. They say cell phone usage has caused twenty six percent of the nation's car accidents. Uh, Parents actually text 50% of the time. I mean, one minute, they use their phone 50% of the time when they're driving. And there's one more statistic here that I thought was kind of cool. uh, One of them says that 56% of smartphone users check their phone within an hour of going to sleep. Uh, The teenagers, they sleep with the phone underneath their pillow. Any of you guys do that? crazy man and 50 percent feel uncomfortable when they leave their smartphone at home or in the car i mean there have been one time we were 10 miles out of the house and Shelley said let's go home i forgot my phone i'm just joking i'm just joking <laughs> but but you know um can you put it down Will you put it down what 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 is the addiction that maybe we're we're not really careful and we're like well it's it's lawful but at the end of the day what ends up happening is we've been been brought under the power of it right and we need to be so very careful it can be other things uh for example uh, cigarettes they say over 40 million americans are addicted to cigarettes alcohol um you think well i can handle it just have a little drink Next thing you know, you're hooked or your kids are hooked or your brother's hooked because he found out that you drink and he thinks now it's okay, right? 18 million uh, Americans are addicted to alcohol. You know, pot, they say it's legal now, right? And so uh, it's lawful, it's lawful, but is it profitable? Is it something that will then bring you under its bondage? You know, 4.2 million Americans are hooked on pot painkillers, 2 million, cocaine, 821,000, heroin, and all these other uh, uh, drugs. You know, some of you will say, well, it's lawful, it's legal, I got it from the pharmacist. But the, the question is, is it something that's profitable? Is it something that will bring you under its power? Because what he's leading into is this, because eventually he's going to kind of hone in on sexual sin that we have to get these things right. You know, ask the right questions when the activity you're engaged in. Is it, is it profitable? I can even tell you guys this, just being transparent, being honest with you. I can look at the news app on my phone, and next thing you know, I catch this image of a girl, and she's dressed with low cleavage, a lot of skin, short dress, whatever it might be. And then, you know, that, that's me on my phone looking at the news articles or the news feed, right? And so you keep doing that because you're like, well, it's lawful. It's not, you know, technically pornography. You know, it's lawful. But is it profitable? And might you be brought under the bondage of it? Because, you know, you start feeding your flesh. Basically, what he's saying is eventually it leads into worse and worse things. You feed your spiritual man, your spiritual man will grow stronger. You feed the fleshly man, and your fleshly man will dominate right there's the two lions that we have within us which one wins the one you feed the most so he's just trying to say hey be wise you know don't just say well is it lawful is it profitable is it good for you or is it something that's powerful that's going to bring you under its bondage see there needs to be a clarification on what we do with our liberties and then secondly there's a clarification on our moralities or morality look at verse 13 Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now, this was a a slogan of the day in the uh, place of the community of the Corinthians. You know, food for the body, body for the soul, right? Just as I have a hunger for food and I, I feed myself, you know, God made me that way, it's just natural, we have uh, animal appetites, you know, we want to eat, we feed ourselves, the same is true when it comes to the sex drive, right, and so I'm, you know, driven, I feed it, there's a need that needs to be met, and my animal appetites are not just uh, uh, authentic, they're they're God-given, And so that would be how they would justify it, right? And besides, they said, it's just my body, it's just the external, it's the physical, it's not the spiritual. Again, look at verse 13, foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. It's not really a big deal, it's just, you know, the physical stuff, right? And that was the thought of the day, right? It's okay to do it, as a matter of fact, it would be wrong if you tried to suppress it. You know, you're a teacher, you're a parent, you're trying to tell your kid to stay pure and wait until they get married. It's not good for them, they would actually say. And it comes to a place now where Isaiah 520, where it says they call evil good and good evil, right? And so what does the world categorize as the right thing to do in dealing with sexually transmitted diseases? How do we deal with that? How do we deal with pregnancies outside of marriage, which they say uh, consist of 50% of all Pregnancy. So how do we deal with this epidemic that we're facing? And so do they do they teach the kids well abstinence and purity? Would they tell them just to wait until you're married? No, they give them condoms, right? And if you do get pregnant, their counsel is simply get an abortion, which is what happens to 43% of those 50% of unwanted pregnancies, which really should be labeled unwanted children. Think about what a terrible concept uh, that is. Unwanted children? I can't even fathom the thought. Who wouldn't want this beautiful child? But that's the world that we live in, right? Because it all starts with, well, it's, it's legal, it's lawful, but is it good for you? Is it profitable? Will it bring you under its power? Well, we need to clarify the liberties. We need to clarify the moralities. My body doesn't tell me what's right. The culture doesn't tell me what's right. Jesus does. And there needs to be that clarification in our life. You know, we have lost the sanctity of life through abortion. You know, just life. Think about life. The moment of conception is life but we take life. And so what does that lead to? It leads to, you know, euthanasia. You get old enough to where you're not necessarily a contributor to society, whatever, you're going through hard times, you're going through pain. So let's take their life, at least to suicide. Listen, I believe, you guys, that when you get older, and we're gonna go through the hard times, and we're gonna go through the pain if God tarries, but I believe that to to your dying breath, God will use you. I know it's hard. I know it's hard but God will use you. He knows the best time for us to die. He does. Yesterday I went to the hospital. I visited Mr. Rodriguez as he's there on the brink of dying and I saw him even though he's struggling and he's in pain. I see God using him to the very end. But see when you abort children then you lose the sanctity of life you know and it's homicide, it's suicide, its shootings in school all because we lost the sanctity of life and so the way that we deal with it is not our body appetites the way that we deal with it is what does God say in his word it's all rooted unfortunately in evolution well what Paul here says uh, again in verse 13 foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods but God will destroy both it and them. he says, now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Think about it, guys, you you know, you look at the girl, and you're like, I want her body, I want her body. And she might say the same thing about you, if you're buff. I want his body. Your body is not for sexual immorality, your body, head to toe, Everything inside of you, your body is for the Lord. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Everything about you, amazing. But your body, the Bible says, is for the Lord. And it says right there, the Lord for the body, and that means the Lord cares for the body. Our bodies, we're going to see, very important. Romans 12, 1 and 2, where Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. After Paul says, hey, the whole world is guilty, They should be in hell, justifiably so, suffering for eternity. That should have been you, but Jesus came, died on a cross, shed his blood. You put your faith in him. You're forgiven. You're free. You will go to heaven forever and ever and ever and live in the land of the love of the Lord. So because of that, I beseech you, therefore, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. Our bodies are not for sexual immorality. Our bodies are for the Lord. Everything about our bodies. And this doctrine right here, what we we're, were sharing, is so important. See, there needs to be that clarification on liberty. There needs to be the clarification on morality. And there needs to be the clarification on our body. Now, we're going to see a few things in this section right here. Number one, how the Father will resurrect our body. Number two, how the Son has redeemed our body. And then number three, how the Spirit resides within our body. You know, and we read in verse 14, it says, And God both raised up the Lord, and will also raise us up by his power. Your body, you know, don't don't devalue it. Don't think it's like an animal type of thing. No, your body is so valuable to God. It's so holy. Your body and the DNA, the cells of who you consist of, it's all going to be salvaged and resurrected you yes you will be in heaven so don't downgrade it don't think that it doesn't matter god values your body don't lose the connection between your body your body here and your body there don't don't disconnect them he's saying the father will resurrect your body And just in case you're wondering if it's really true, well, it's just as true as the fact that Christ rose from the dead. That's what he says there in verse 14. We will as well, because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. And so the Father will resurrect your body. Secondly, the Son has redeemed your body. And look at verse 20, if you would. It says, for you were bought at a price. You, you were bought at a price. You don't belong to yourself. See, we got to know these things. We got to know the Bible. You know, one of the most liberating truths in the whole Bible is that you're not the boss, you're the servant. Yesterday, I was I forgot where I was running around some errands and a guy called me boss again. Hey, boss. And I just thought, that's cool, I like that, you know? I think that the younger guys tell the older guys that. I think that's the way it works. And so that's usually, you know, but, and then, you know, I remember, I'm not the boss, I'm not the shot caller. My whole, I'm consumed. I'm consumed with what does Jesus want for me? So that's a liberating thought, that you're not the boss, you're the slave. Another liberating thought, truth is that you're not the owner you're just a steward and, and we have to really understand that we don't own anything we don't own our house we don't own our our, our cars we don't own our kids we don't own our life we were bought we were bought we we're redeemed and i like the way that paul he, he puts it here you were bought at a price And he adds those three words there because he wants to remind them, remember, you're not cheap. You you were bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. When God, think about this, so amazing, God gave his son for you. So trying to just remember the value of who we are. You know we read in scripture how God gave his son and how it cost him everything in 1 Peter 1:18 1, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot Revelation 5.9, it says the same thing. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Imagine if you were kidnapped. You know, what would the ransom be for you? For some of you guys here, for some of us here, you know, I don't know, 50,000, I don't know, 100,000, maybe, you know, whatever, a million. How, what would the ransom be for you? You know, um, for for us, the ransom was God's only begotten son, Jesus, on the cross. That's who you are. We need to know this. So important. And, And when you look at this right here, it's so interesting that we were bought with the blood of Christ. And we are members of the body of Christ. Look at verse 15. Do you not know? A phrase that we see 10 times in the book of 1 Corinthians. Man, a lot of times we have our struggles because we're ignorant. Listen, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a heart, it is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. He's quoting there from Genesis 2.24. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And what we find is that, you know, the, the truth is that when we were saved, we were then, you know, baptized into the body of Christ. He's the head. We're the body. And if you can visualize that. And then you go and you have uh, sex outside of marriage. Jesus is the head, you're the body, you're doing that. Uh, he says you're joined to Christ. Have you guys ever seen those pictures of those uh, conjoined twins? You have those two lives that are, are, are you know, born and they're, they're, they're together like that. You're conjoined, you're joined with Christ. So when you go and you have sex outside of marriage, that's what you're doing to Jesus if you are a christian see that's what he's saying right here it's a huge thing it's a, it's a it's a game changer it changes everything if you're really a christian you know it's an amazing thing when you look at what sexual sin is what he's saying right here is you know you don't do this uh to yourself you don't do this to that person you don't do this to Jesus you know cuz sexual intimacy is you know when you make people one in Genesis 224 it says therefore a man shall leave his father and mother be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh in Corinth the, the thousand temple prostitutes would come down from the temple of Aphrodite and then they would go and they would seduce the men and so there was definitely that temptation that sexual temptation and Paul says, no, don't bring that into the church. You stay pure. You wait until you're married. And you watch what God will do. You know, sexual intimacy is created for unity within the confines of marriage. What he's saying right here is, I pray you'd wait until you're married. And when you're tempted, what you need to do, look at verse 18. Flee sexual immorality. Flee. Flee. And so I thought it would be cool to turn to Genesis chapter 37 or 39. In Genesis chapter 39, we have the story of Joseph. And this right here, his story is definitely a visual for us all. Because if we're not careful, we might find ourselves as a casualty to this. And so in Genesis uh, chapter 39, you guys probably remember the story when Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. He eventually finds himself as a slave in Potiphar's house, right? And while he's there, um, his boss's wife casts longing eyes on him. And so we read in, in Genesis chapter 39, beginning in you know what look at verse 6 thus he he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate and so the guy he gave Joseph the stewardship over all his belongings now notice what it says now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance you know what that means he was buff he was his form he was buff and he was a good looking guy right more than likely he's probably about 17 18 19 years old and so in one sense you know a sexually definitely driven guy right and so it says in verse 7 and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on joseph and she said with him this is the direct approach right lie with me i mean she didn't beat around the bush she said let's do it but He refused. And he said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And you think about all that you have been blessed with, and you think about all the blessings that God has for your life. Are you willing to flush it all down the toilet? I mean, he's thinking straight. He's like, man, you know, this, I mean, doing this to you, doing this to my master, sinning against God. You know, but we know the enemy doesn't give up, right? And so it was in verse 10, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. I mean, this bro, he loved God. He loved God. I was talking to a gentleman after first service, and he was telling me about you know, some of the different struggles he has, and it was so cool how transparent he was, man, just honest, you know? And, and I just know, I know for sure that the way it works is the only way that you can overcome those things is to have a powerful relationship with God to where the Holy Spirit comes in and there's power there. Well, that's where Joseph was. That's where Joseph was. And so even though she kept coming after him, he didn't give in. But we read in verse 11, but it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and he ran outside. And that's, that's, that's what you got to do, guys. you got to run. you got to run as if your life depends on it. Because it, it does. If you're here and you've fallen into sexual immorality, I, I, this, is, this is not intended in any way to condemn you. But there is an intention here. Never again. Never again. I love God. I will not do this. I will stay pure. God will forgive you. His blood will give you another chance. But if we, you know, dance with the devil and negotiate with nonsense and flirt with fire, we're going to get burned. And I've seen it happen to, to way too many families. And so what God is doing, and I remember when I, I started, you know, wanted to teach the book of 1 Corinthians, I really wanted to get to the gifts. I, I want this holy spirit to move in a mighty way i want to see signs and wonders i want to see god do crazy 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 things so you know i I thought okay first corinthians is a book but it was just so cool because i didn't even realize it in my own heart but what god is saying but first the church needs to be purified and some people they'll listen to a message like this and they won't come back and that's one way of purifying the church Another way is that people will fall in love with the Lord and they'll believe his word and they'll repent. And that's my prayer, you guys. If that's been something that you've been struggling with, I want to encourage you, run, run. If you need to run from your boyfriend, then run from him. Or your girlfriend, then run, run from that situation, whatever it is. And you run to the Lord. And you watch what he does. That's what Paul says back in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18. Flee sexual immorality. And notice his explanation, his reasoning. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Now this is interesting for a couple of reasons, and we don't really know. This is so deep. I really can't articulate everything that it means. But one thing's for sure. you I mean It's different than any other sin. All other sin. All other sin is outside the body. That's what he says. I don't really know exactly what that means, but I do know this, that this sin is different than all other sins. All other sin is outside the body. This one, for whatever reason, is deeper. And it does more harm. That's what he says. That's one of the things that he says right there. You know, I don't know if you guys caught the the 2020, the other night, it was just such a tragedy, and we see this time and time again. But this, you know, married couple, I don't know, married for 27, 28 years. You know, um, they start growing apart. Um, They start, you know, how it is, sometimes when you're married, you know, you love each other, but you don't like each other. You can go through phases like that, I guess, sometimes. And if you're not careful to invest and to just love your spouse, in spite of the the challenges and the struggles and the way that sometimes you know you're butting heads that's when you have to love them even more because you love god and so you got to pour into that marriage and love them because love never fails love never fails right and but it takes two like my son was telling me yeah dad you know but it does take two you both of you have to be on this page but, and if you are, you watch what God will do. But unfortunately, what happened was this guy, he went, he got a new job, he got a new boss, he got interested in her. I think she's about 15 years younger than his wife and whatever. She's, you know, articulate, intelligent, you know, and, you know, gifted and whatever, prettier, whatever, however all that works. And so he says, see, I'm leaving. He leaves his wife to go with her. And so what does she do? You guys, maybe you saw the 2020. She ends up killing that lady and then killing herself now this guy is there I'm trying to forgive her dude you man you you better find out whether or not God will forgive you for what you did or there's that story I've shared with you before about one guy and he was talking about how a lady at work was after him she even called him one time at home well, his wife was there, so he answers the phone. He says, I'm not interested. Uh, I'm happily married. Hangs up the phone. She just goes and finds someone else. She hooks up with him. They run away together, so his wife kills herself. You know, God is able to you know, mend any marriage. He's able to heal any heart. But this is the carnage of sexual sin. All other sin outside the body. This sin is deep, deep depravity. You know, he says right there, all his sin is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Now, that's an interesting verse. I'm not 100% sure what it means. It could mean sexually transmitted diseases. Others believe it has to do with the fact that he just got done saying that 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 Christ, that you're you're conjoined, you know, you're you're the body of Christ. And so you're sinning against your other brothers and sisters, you're sinning against Jesus, because now he's part of your body. Remember, we just got done reading that. All I know is this. It's it's a it's an awful thing. But if you're if you're free to, you know, check out chicks, a little porn, a little flirting, you know, you're free, oh my son, Allah. the next thing you know one thing leads to another. I think that's why Paul started this section that way. See, for us, we have to have a clarification on liberty, the clarification on morality, and the clarification on our body. Our body, it belongs to the Lord. And we read last week that no fornicator will go to heaven. We read that. No adulterer is going to go to heaven. So we really need to make sure that we get that our lives right. Oh, Manny, are you saying that because you're mad at me? No, I'm saying that because I love you. I'm saying that because I want you to go to heaven. I'm saying that because when we're there, I want you to be part of our Garden of Sala reunion. Can you imagine that chorizo con papas in heaven? Can you imagine? <laughs> so, the, you know, looking at the fact that when it comes to our body, the Father is the Resurrector, the Son is the Redeemer, and then the last point here is the Holy Spirit is the Resider. It says right here, do you not know? Look again. In verse 19, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not you're not your own for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You know, our bodies are not for sexual morality. Our bodies are for the Lord, and he cares about our bodies. God promises to resurrect our bodies, which are members of his body. We're conjoined to Christ's body spiritually, and whatever you do, don't downplay downplay the majesty of your body, for God lives in your body. That's what he's saying there. That's why sometimes when we think the wrong thing or we say the wrong thing or we do the wrong thing, we feel so, we grieve the Holy Spirit because God is living in you. And sometimes when we do the right thing, there's a joy in our hearts because God lives in us. Just think if we really believe that, how different our life would be. You know, he used to live in the tabernacle and then the temple. And then when Jesus came, he lived in him. Now he lives in us. And what Paul is saying is, let this truth keep you pure. And so I pray, you guys, if you're here today and you're struggling in these things, that you would come and say, Lord, forgive me. And there is forgiveness. There's freedom. There's second chances. God is able to do that work. And if you need help, man, you can call upon the name of the Lord. Let him fill you with his Holy Spirit, and he will do that work. I pray, you guys, that you would know that God wants to bring um, a a new work. We can have the musicians come up. We're going to have communion now. But let me just close with this last thing, that on Thursday night, we were doing a study in Psalms 119. And it's kind of cool that when you read Psalm 119, it's all prayer. Prayer, prayer. And so he's praying, Lord, uh, teach me your statutes. Uh, Lord, give me understanding. Lord, make me to walk in your ways. Lord, incline my heart to your testimonies. These are all prayers that we can pray. Lord, teach me. Give me understanding. Make me walk in your ways. Incline my heart to good. Lord, turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things. And and then twice in that chapter, he says, and revive me, revive me, oh Lord. Maybe you're here today, and at the end of the day, you know deep down in yourself, your heart, that's what you need, Lord, light a fire in me, and as a church, I think that's what we need.